Hello everybody, Julian Charles here of themindrenewed.com, podcasting to you from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. Today is the 10th of October 2013, and it is my very great pleasure to be speaking for a second time to Dr. Paul Craig Roberts. Dr. Roberts is the chairman of the Institute for Political Economy. His career has spanned academia, journalism, business and public service. He's held numerous senior academic positions in universities. He was an associate editor and columnist for the Wall Street Journal. And he was appointed by President Reagan as Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for Economic Policy during Reagan's first term in office, after which he served as a consultant to both the U.S. Department of Defense and the U.S. Department of Commerce. Dr. Roberts, thank you ever so much for joining us again on the program. It's wonderful to be speaking to you again. Well, thank you, Julian. I'm pleased to speak to you and your audience. Now, the issue that I'd like to ask you about today is something that we've been taking quite a bit of interest here on this program, and that's the subject of the the assassination or the reported assassination of Osama bin Laden in Abbottabad by Navy SEALs in 2011. And as listeners to this program will know, it was this claimed event which I found, I have to say, completely unbelievable at the time, and I still find completely unbelievable. That was one of the main catalysts that prompted me to start this particular podcast. And if I may, I'd like to take the opportunity to thank you, Dr. Roberts, for the way that you publicly expressed your doubts about that story at the time, because I found that very, very helpful. I'm sure many other people did also. So thank you very much indeed for doing that. Now, the reason why I want to ask you about this subject now is because a few weeks ago, you published an article on your website at paulcraigroberts.org entitled, Pakistani National TV reveals that Obama's claim to have killed Osama bin Laden is an American hoax. And that article contains a translation of an eyewitness account of the claimed bin Laden raid that radically conflicts with the official story. So could I start by asking you to tell us what that eyewitness actually said and how you came by this information? Yes, Julian, that is a reposting of what I published, I think, two years ago or at the time of the so-called SEAL Team 6 killing of bin Laden. There was a YouTube video of the Pakistani national television interviewing the next door neighbor to the alleged bin Laden compound. It was in uh, the Pakistani language, but at the bottom there were English subscripts so that you could follow what was being said. And I was quite astonished reading these subscripts because it was totally inconsistent with the story that had been put out by the Obama regime. I didn't know if these could be trusted or not. And I mentioned this in the column, provided uh, the link to this interview and said, uh, surely there's some people who are able to translate this and uh, we can see if these English subscripts are really right. And I got several offers and one was from a British educated uh, Pakistani with a master of laws, I think from one of your better schools there. And he said he could do that, and someone else could do it. And the translations were the same. So I then published the translation. And the translator also provided various explanations of what terms meant and what context meant. And all that was in with the translation. Now, what the next-door neighbor said was that uh, there were three helicopters altogether, but only one ever landed. And the one that landed never left. It blew up when it attempted to lift off. And there were no survivors. Everyone was killed. 
he witnessed the whole thing. He also said that uh, when the one helicopter first landed, the men who got out of it shouted to everybody in Pashto, mm -hmm. which as well as I remember is a, an Afghan language, not to come out of the house. They'd be killed if they came out. And this small group of men then proceeded into the compound, came back out, and got in the helicopter, started lifting off and blew up. The other two helicopters never landed. One went off to the east, one went off to the west. A large number of people were rushed into the compound and observed the carnage and dead bodies and pieces of bodies and the burning flaming helicopter until the Pakistani army came and uh, told them to leave. So this was the interview he gave to the um, Pakistani national TV. And they pressed him on it because they were having a hard time believing it, but they did. And they got very interested in it. And I asked the person who translated it if he could follow up with the Pakistani national TV and find out did they pursue this story. And he said that they had actually, within 24 hours, they had changed their mind and gone cold on it and that um, nothing else was said about it. His explanation was that the government had gotten notice from Washington to cool their jets. You might remember at the time, the United States was putting a lot of pressure on Pakistan, blaming them for hiding bin Laden from Washington. Hmm. And uh, this was disturbing to the Pakistani government that they were being blamed for hiding bin Laden. And this was probably part of Washington's effort to shut up the news media. But anyhow, that was the account. There were no survivors. And the people who came out of the helicopter were not speaking English. They were speaking Pashto or both. He, I think, used one and the other. But if I remember correctly, this is an Afghan dialect. And I doubt very much that the SEALs would have known this language. It's not something they specialize in. We also know that the United States lost a helicopter there. There was a fight, diplomatic fight, between Washington and Pakistan about returning the pieces of the helicopter. So we can confirm that part, that there was a helicopter that didn't return. So as Bashir, I think was the name of the Pakistani who lived next door, as he said, um, how did they take bin Laden off? Nobody left. Nobody left. They were all killed. And this man, Mohammed Bashir, the TV station, I think it was Samar TV or something like that, they did actually check out quite extensively, didn't they, to check this was really the person he claimed to be? Yes. Oh, no, there's no doubt about him being the person. He lived next door. He watched the whole thing from the roof of his house until the explosion. And he came down and he said there were 200 people went inside. The gates were open. He also said that the uh, man who lived in the house was not bin Laden. He knew the man. He had a small business of importing uh, foreign exotic foods, uh, had given some recently to Bashir's cousin. Other people said we have garden plots inside the wall, inside the compound. There's no bin Laden here. And there was <laughs> even a BBC interview with the residents of the town. It was a woman. I think this is still up on YouTube. And she uh, interviewed 50 of the residents and 49 of them said it's strictly impossible there's any bin Laden there. We know who's in the town. <laughs> we go by there all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some of them said they had gardens inside the gate and that uh, there was no such person there. 
So this is fairly compelling. None of these people have any reason to make this up. And this is immediately after the event. It wasn't days or weeks or months after that somebody's concocted a story. It was immediate. It was like the next day or close to that. I don't really remember. So that is a very um, contradictory piece of evidence to what the White House claims. So they didn't have anybody, anybody to drop in the sea. (laughs) (laughs) On this uh, Bashir interview, I've tried to look for it recently on YouTube, and it seems to have disappeared. But I did actually find it a couple of years ago when I was trying to find out things about the subject. So I actually have a copy of it sitting here on my computer. So I know it does actually exist. It it was a broadcast, but it seems to have disappeared now. Well, my article two years ago had a link to it, and I did notice that when you click that link now, it says this video is no longer available. But in my recent posting, I found another video that looked like it might be the same one. It doesn't have any subtitles, but I believe it's the same interview. I'm not certain. But there's no doubt that it exists. Mm -hmm. What was puzzling, you would have thought that the uh, news media would have gotten very interested in that. But there was no mention of it anywhere in the American press. Mm -hmm. So the main way in which this testimony of Mohammed Bashir conflicts with the official story then is that there were these three helicopters and only one of them landed and anybody who came off that helicopter and went into the building and then came back out again or was taken from the building into the helicopter then everybody was killed. There were no survivors. He's clear about that. There's no survivors and of course the Pakistanis have never said they had any. You know they never said oh we've got a couple of guys that survived it and we'll turn them over or that There's never been any mention there were any survivors. I don't remember the American claim at the time. I think they claimed that uh, the helicopter had a mechanical problem, and uh, but nobody was injured. I think they said something like that. I don't think that the uh, White House at the time uh, acknowledged any casualties from the uh, fact that the helicopter didn't return. They do acknowledge they lost a helicopter. And there was this fight with Pakistan about turning it over or not turning it over. And I don't know why Pakistan resisted turning over the pieces. It was nothing but pieces. It wasn't an intact machine that just caught on fire. It was just, uh, it was was blown up. So if we have a situation where, if this testimony is correct, then nobody came out of that situation, then there's nobody to ask about what happened. Then presumably any story could be constructed about that. That's true. I'd like to ask you about other problems with this story that go beyond this particular interview that we've been talking about. One of the major barriers that people have in accepting the official story about this raid is the fact that it was reported many, many times before in mainstream media, indeed, by some very prominent people that bin Laden had, in fact, died back in 2001, probably December 2001. In fact, David Ray Griffin wrote a book all about that, showing that the evidence for that was pretty good. Do you agree that he probably died back in 2001? Well, based on my understanding, which is that he had kidney disease and underwent dialysis in October of 2001, and based on all the reports of his various health problems, uh, I think it's uh, very likely that these news reports are right. You know, and they didn't just, I mean, they came also out of countries over there. I think it was reported in Pakistan, India. It was a widely reported thing that he had died. And I can't see why they wanted to make that up. And I've never saw any convincing answer from the United States government that, no, these reports are wrong or he's still alive. 
I think that bin Laden, you know, at least initially, worked with uh, the CIA against the Russians in Afghanistan and was uh, an asset. And I think what happened after 9-11, they needed somebody to blame. And the only thing they could come up with was uh, al-Qaeda and <laughs> <Bin> Laden, <laughs> what they had created themselves, apparently, because there wasn't any other thing to blame it on. If there had been some other so-called um, Muslim terrorist group, they could have chose that. But I think al-Qaeda was all they had to blame 9-11 on. And so I think that's why they kept bin Laden alive as the bogeyman. But some people would point to, you know, those videos and the tapes that came out claiming to be by bin Laden and say, well, that's evidence then that he didn't die in 2001. Well, I'm not an expert on all that, but I have seen a number of reports by experts including intelligence officers, and they point out that these videos are fakes. Bin Laden gets progressively younger <laughs> as the years pass and progressively fatter. <laughs> and his beard goes from gray to black. And it's clear that these are not the same people. And that particularly people who have medical problems, they don't do the reverse of aging. <laughs> so I don't think those videos have any credibility. And I have seen the last video that experts certify is bin Laden. And he is saying that he had no responsibility for 9-11. He says, I have nothing against the American people. My objection is to the American uh, colonialism or imperialism in their rule over Muslim people and their disrespect for our culture, and that his opposition is to the government, not to the American people. And there's no doubt that this is a bin Laden video. Now, what we do know is that any leader of our terrorist organization or any kind of an organization just trying to gather support, they would claim credit for a deed like this. I mean, this is a massive success, if you believe 9-11. It's a massive blow. It's the most punishing, most humiliating blow in human history against the superpower. So anybody trying to build a, a movement would claim credit. I'm surprised he didn't claim it anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when you say no, I didn't have anything to do it, you're giving away all of this sort of prestige that would accrue. Look what he brought America low. Look what he did. He outsmarted the CIA, the FBI, all 16 intelligence agencies. He outsmarted NORAD, the National Security Council. He caused air traffic control to fail. The Air Force couldn't get jet fighters up. He caused airport security to fail four times the same hour on the same day. I mean, this is a superhero here. I mean, this, <laughs> this is beyond James Bond, isn't it? I mean... <laughs> And so why wouldn't you say, oh, sure, I did that. I can remember years ago when there would be bombings in Italy or somewhere, and every so-called red group would claim credit. So you never really knew who did it because everybody wanted it. turned out it was the CIA and Italian intelligence doing it <laughs> because that's what the Italian, remember the Italian president, uh, the Gladio, Operation Gladio, remember he revealed that. Mm. And it came out that all these bombings that these Red Brigades and whatever they were called, these Biedermannhof group in Germany, all these people would claim credit for this. And the whole time it was CIA and Italian intelligence. <laughs> so that's another reason to not believe bin Laden has any connection to any of this. And uh, the amazing fact that the FBI actually didn't want bin Laden for the crime of 9-11 sort of corroborates that position, doesn't it? 
Yes, he's not wanted for 9-11. And when asked, the FBI spokesperson said, we have no evidence against him. And at that time, I remember it was a big thing here on the Internet. People wanted me to get into it. So I called the FBI and spoke to this person. I said, did you really say this? And he said, yes, it's true, but please. He said, please, (laughs) I've gone to so much trouble for saying this. And uh, can't we just end it? And I felt sorry for the guy and didn't really push it myself. But there was no doubt that he said that. This is the official spokesperson said, yes, there's no FBI charges against bin Laden for 9-11. There's no evidence, he said. But you see, this gets buried in the media. There's some things that you're just not supposed to talk about. Mm. You can talk about it on the Internet. But even there's a lot of places on the Internet you can't talk about it. Sure. As soon as you start talking about it, you are called names, essentially, aren't you? Of right. course, conspiracy theorists straight away, as, yeah. which is just to, you know, sort of reduce you down to the level of, you know, two IQ or something like that, so people don't need to listen to you. It's uh, it's very depressing, really. Yeah. I'd like to ask you about how the story was sort of messed up immediately after the operation, when the White House seemed to have huge difficulty in getting a straight version of what happened. I mean, we were told that Bin Laden was killed in a firefight, which implied that he had a gun. And then we were told that he wasn't, in fact, armed. We were told that he used his wife as a human shield. And then we were told that he hadn't used his wife as a human shield. And this was all explained away as being due to the fog of war. So my question is, do you think that all this mess can be explained as the fog of war? Or do you think it was the difficulty in constructing a story out of whole cloth? Yeah, I think it was just a difficulty in constructing a story. There wasn't any fog of war, you know, because uh, I don't remember Bashir reporting any gunfire, certainly not a firefight. The initial claim was it was a 45-minute firefight. That was the initial claim. Well, Bashir doesn't report a 45-minute. I think he says they weren't there more than 20 minutes. The most telling aspect of the original story, I mean, you're right, it changed three or four times in 24 hours. But you may remember they released this photograph of Obama and and the cabinet and everybody sitting around Mm. intently staring. You couldn't see what it was, but you were told they were watching it live. The SEALs had cameras on their helmets and they were watching the live operation. That was the original story. It's the reason they released that photograph. Mm -hmm. Well, whoever put that out wasn't thinking because it meant that they had films of it if it was true. (laughs) So everybody started saying, give us the films. We want to see. This is the evidence. You don't have any other evidence, so let's see it. And then they said, oh, well, it wasn't film. We were wrong to put that out. There isn't any film. We we were trying to listen to relayed reports, and and the reports weren't always clear, and they were garbled with the transmission. They had some other story they told. And, of course, it did change many times about whether – there was any resistance or bin Laden was armed. And so it turns out he's unarmed. There's no bodyguards. I mean, this is the terror mastermind all alone with two women, no, no Al Qaeda protection. No, I mean, this doesn't make any sense, does it? So the seals have the mastermind in their hands, the key to all the terrorism. All they got to do is pick him up, and bring him out and bring him to Washington and make him testify. And they know everything and the whole thing's over. So what do they do? They just blow him away. <laughs> well, yes. this is, this is, I mean, this is unbelievable. Nobody would kill the terror mastermind when they can capture him and interview him and find out about all the terror plots and all the rest. 
So that's a totally unbelievable aspect of it, Julian. Yeah, and, it, and he would have been a trophy as well to parade around for everybody to see. Oh, yeah. And Obama could have, would have brought him back with the TV. I mean, he would have been a hero. You know, and another dead giveaway. Look, I was in Weston for a quarter of a century and involved in, in all of it. And no president would forego a White House ceremony pinning medals on the seals. It's just not possible. And so this, when they were asked about it, they came out with this lame story. Oh, we have to protect the seals from al-Qaeda. They would want revenge and they would, uh, the seals wouldn't be safe. Well, how in the world is al-Qaeda going <laughs> to reach a seal? It's not, it's not possible. So and if the seals are, are this uh, effete and have to be hidden and protected in anonymity, uh, how could you send them out into the field? So the whole thing is ludicrous from start to finish. It's ludicrous. And, of course, as you know, we are a long ways from the end of the story. <laughs> and, well, I was, I was just thinking that the, the most ludicrous part of the story, at least, and I think it, most people reading and hearing about it at the time, was the supposed fact that he was buried at sea. Because, I mean, that seemed like a way of saying, we got him, but you have to trust us because we haven't got a body. So could I ask you to comment on those claims that it was uh, done, say, to avoid an Al-Qaeda shrine or that it was done because no country wanted the body and so he had to be buried really quickly for Islamic reasons and all that kind of thing? What, what do you make of all that? It's just a cover story. They didn't ha- Look, we know there was no burial from the aircraft carrier that they claimed because the sailors on the ship, sent home emails to family, to friends. We don't know anything about a burial. We didn't see any burial. And so many of these were coming out, and the authorities picked up on it, and they said, oh, my goodness, here goes the cover story. So they quickly put out a story. I don't remember whether it was the White House or the Navy. Somebody quickly put out a story. Oh, we, we buried him in secret. Nobody knew he was there. Nobody saw it. Well, now, an aircraft carrier, if I remember correctly, He's got something like 6,000 personnel, unless they were all locked in their bunks, <laughs> which they don't report having been the case. There are sailors all over that boat, all hours of the day and night, all kinds of tasks, watches, everything. There's no way you could carry on a burial ceremony and not be observed. If you could do that, then pirates could come on board and seize it. <laughs> I mean, it's not possible. And the fact that the report, as soon as they learned about these emails going from the sailors home, that the report came out, oh, we did it in secret. That's also very suspicious. They said only a few officers knew about it. Well, why don't they say who those officers are? Let them come forward and say, yes, I witnessed it. (laughs) So we have no evidence of any kind that supports the official story. And this is very curious because, as you've noted, the evidence would be uh, worth a jillion dollars to Obama. Mm. They didn't even take a photograph. You know, a, a doctored photograph appeared on the Internet. Somebody that they claim is bin Laden. He looked like he was shot through the eye or something, and, which is not where the SEAL said they shot him. This was exposed as a fake. So there's no evidence. And yet this is the greatest coup uh, of all times. And there's no evidence for it. And they intentionally destroy all the evidence and they intentionally have no witnesses and they intentionally kill the terror mastermind who could reveal everything to them. So the story, uh, I can't figure out why they made up a story this way. 
if you were going to make up a story like this, you could make up a better one. A lot of people at the time were making quite a bit about the supposed DNA evidence that they had. Do you think there's any credibility to that part of the story? Uh, no one's ever seen it. But, you know, look, why should you believe it? They had evidence that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, right? They sent that to uh, the U.N. with Colin Powell, and everything he said was a, was an outrageous lie. And he later apologized for it. So they tell lies that serve the purpose. So you can't believe anything they say about these matters. I suppose DNA is just one of those sort of buzz terms, isn't it? If people see that or hear that, they think, oh, that's yeah. science, therefore it's proven in some way. But That's, that's right. Yeah. Would you be able to comment upon the leak, I'm putting this in inverted commas, the Strat4 leak that came out, I think it was about a, a year later, through WikiLeaks, where senior figures at uh, Strategic Forecasting Incorporated, Strat4, seem to believe, anyway, that Bin Laden's corpse was on its way to the U.S., and not, of course, therefore at the bottom of the ocean. Now, given that that leak sort of serves to bring into question certain parts of the narrative that he was buried at sea, but yes. serves to reinforce other parts of the narrative that they did in fact kill him and had his body, do you think that that leak is possibly an example of disinformation? Because an awful yeah. lot was made about that when it came out. Yes, of course it is, right. Yeah. When stories get in trouble, you have leaks that sort of explain away the trouble part of the story, but keep the story. And that's what that is. Yeah. There's no reason to disbelieve Bashir's eyewitness or the fact that all of these people in that village, what was it called, Abadabad or something like that. That's right, yeah. I mean, there are 200 people who went in there and witnessed this. If there were survivors and the Pakistani TV is under American pressure, they would run find them and get them to say they saw, oh, find these 200 and say, how many survivors? Did you see survivors? Oh, they haven't done that. <laughs> so I'm quite confident there weren't any survivors, and I doubt that the people were SEALs in the first place. And I think a lot of people would also think about that video that was released of Bin Laden watching himself on television as proof that he was actually there in that building. Well, the BBC in Abbottabad ask about that. They've got this whole crowd of residents, and one guy says, no, that's not Bin Laden. That's my neighbor and gave his name. So I've known him all my life. That's my, this is still online. You can still get this oh. BBC woman there interviewing these people. And he says, no, that's not Bin Laden. That's my neighbor. And so he gave his name. You see, to an American, any older Muslim with a beard looks the same. They all look like Bin Laden. So the government says, that's Bin Laden. He's, look, Bin Laden is vain. He's watching his own videos. You know, that's something that I've always found very difficult to understand, why he would actually take a video of himself watching himself on television. It doesn't actually make any sense from Bin Laden's <laughs> point of view. It doesn't make any sense. But you see, the authorities can rely on, on the vast majority of the people not to notice these things. You've already got to be a little bit alert and a little bit suspicious mm. to even notice them. For example, just think how many people have watched the Twin Towers come down over and over and over. Yeah. And they can't see that these towers are blowing up. <laughs> they think they're falling down because airplanes at them. But if you get out of that mind frame and you look at them, you can see them blowing up. You can see the explosions. <laughs> you can see it blowing up. So people, they have to be alert and have some awareness before they can even pick up on the obvious inconsistencies. 
But the trouble is that there are many factors that are brought into play to stop people being alert, to dampen people's curiosity by providing cover stories, as you say. I mean, one that comes to my mind particularly here is that there were various claims made that bin Laden's family, I believe a wife and a child, were interviewed and described something of their life there at the hideout. We've had testimonies, apparently, from a couple of the SEALs themselves in a, a book, um, an interview. We've had this Hollywood movie and... I mean, how do you do you actually believe that all these things are also produced as, as cover stories? That's my opinion. I mean, I can't prove it. But look at the case of the alleged SEAL who writes the book. Supposedly, it's too dangerous for the SEALs to be named or revealed. And that's why Obama didn't have the ceremony that would have boosted his standing by having the SEALs at the White House. And so, yeah, here's one of them revealing who he is, writing a book. It's totally inconsistent with the secrecy that surrounded the whole thing, isn't it? And indeed, absolutely. Yeah, indeed. And and the movie, of course, is a propaganda thing. Mm. I've forgotten the various um, explanations, but people uh, explain the connections that went into the making of the movie, and it all seems to be something that was done as a convince the public because they believe movies more than anything else, and more of them see movies and see internet sites, and so this is how we put the quiet on the whole thing. Yeah. So I think that they are just part of the cover, yeah. And that presumably would go for those electronic documents that were supposedly collected as well during the raid, which they've now been translated, a book's been made, uh, the studies are produced about them. Right, it's all, it's all made up. I'm convinced it's all made up. Look, if the terror mastermind is deserted and he's living somewhere with two women and he's got no bodyguard, what, what has he got all these sensitive electronic documents for? <laughs> they wouldn't be there. Whoever was running the show would have them somewhere else, right? They're not going to be there, uh, undefended in some village next to a military base. The whole thing is absurd. It makes no sense whatsoever. Absolutely, indeed. Could we move on to talk a little bit about the matter of the SEAL Team 6 tragedy that happened in August of the 2011? Now, I understand that there's a legal case that's being pursued by some of the families of the members of that team that died. As many listeners will remember, a large number of Navy SEALs from Team 6 were killed just three months after that claimed raid, when the helicopter they were travelling in in Afghanistan was shot down by the Taliban on August the 6th, 2011. Now, when this story first broke, I think there was a kind of sense of disbelief that so very many people from that team had that had allegedly assassinated bin Laden had been killed in this way. And since then, some of the families of these fallen SEALs have investigated the circumstances surrounding this shootdown, and they found many, many disturbing issues that need to be answered. So could I ask you to give us some idea of what their concerns are about what happened? Well, I've not investigated this. But I did watch an interview with the father and mother of one of these SEALs. And I did read a report on what other of the families were saying and what had got them aware and alarmed. What they said was that when they first read the government's account, it was fine. They didn't think much about it. We just sort of lost their sons. But that the second time they read it, they you got some questions, and then the third time they started seeing that it didn't make a whole lot of sense. So they played the role in the SEAL affair that the 9-11 families played in the 
investigation. You may remember the White House, uh, right after 9-11, uh, said was, there'll be no investigation. And the families of the survivors uh, fought for a year, demanding. And of course, they never got an investigation, but they did get the commission, which sort of covered it all up. And so the White House had to deliver the commission just to get the families to. And yet some of the families are still going on about it. So the SEAL families now are playing the same role. They're saying, look, why was the entire unit put on a 50-year-old Vietnam helicopter? Where'd you get the helicopter from? Out of a museum? These aren't the uh, modern attack helicopters that the SEALs operate in. It dispersed. You never put the whole unit. You've got a 50-year-old Vietnam helicopter with no fire suppression capability. <laughs> this is a, a Chinook, is that right? Designed in the 1960s. Yeah, it's a 60s thing. And uh, these are expensively trained troops. I think I read it cost a million dollars to train one SEAL. Mm. And you stick them all on there together and send them into a combat fire zone with this is just some of the incongruities oh. about the situation that the families brought up. Other families said um, that their sons had expressed a great deal of unease, had been very uneasy uh, recently. One father said his son had made a will. Others were sending messages home that they were concerned about the safety, mm. and they weren't talking about the enemy. And I believe that there were seven Afghan commandos who were just sort of switched over at the last minute, and there's no answer to that either. There's no answer to that either. Since I never believe the rage story, because it's implausible in every aspect, when I saw the report that the SEALs had been killed, all the whole unit, the White House quickly said, except for those SEALs that got bin Laden, they somehow weren't on that helicopter. Well, that... That seems strange, too, to me. I mean, why quickly say that? I think what happened, uh, there weren't any SEALs sent to Abbottabad, and the SEALs were doing the same thing that the sailors on the ship were doing initially, saying, did you see the burial? Who did you? What burial? Did you see it? And the SEALs were saying, were you on that mission? Who was on the mission? And nobody was on the mission. And the next step would be, they would be riding home. Well, we don't know about this. None of us were there. And so they shut them up. I can't prove that. I'm not even asserting it. But I am saying it makes the most sense. <laughs> it does tie the whole thing together in a way that makes sense of it. Hmm. You see, why would you put, if the SEALs are going into combat, why put them on a 50-year-old helicopter hmm. that can't deflect enemy fire? Unless you want them dead. Why would you want the, such a crack heroic team dead. And there's no explanation as to why this highly trained team were, were put into this situation at all. The, the, the mission isn't clear. Right. And that's what the parents, that's what the families were saying. This whole mission, every protocol, every operating procedure they say is violated. Nothing that was supposed to be done was done. And there was no reason for it. It makes no sense. And, and this comes on top of the reports from the various parents the son has made a will. They feel threatened. They're uneasy about their safety. These are the sort of things the families were reporting. 
I was very, very struck when I saw Charles Strange's uh, address. This is the father of Michael Strange, one of those who died in this helicopter shoot down. And, and it's a, you know, it's a heart wrenching address that he gives. And uh, one of the things that I found difficult to come to terms with was that he was saying something along the lines of, well, this was done in order to win the hearts and minds of the United States' greatest enemy, you know, the, the Islamists. This is this is the position that, that seems to be coming from these families. I, to my mind, that doesn't seem to make much sense. Can you explain what's their thinking there? Well, I wrote about this the one time that I mentioned the families and their doubts, or if I didn't write about it, I was interviewed about it. It's on, it's on my site, either an interview or column. Uh, what I said at the time, as best as I remember, is that Strange's father was blaming Obama and saying that he actually cared more about Muslims than he did his own troops, and that uh, Obama had let al-Qaeda kill the SEALs to get revenge for the fact that the SEALs had killed bin Laden. They were saying this kind of stuff. So what it really is, in my view, is a combination of three things. First of all, these families are not particularly sophisticated people. They're not well-educated. They don't follow foreign affairs. They don't have Washington experience. They don't know how things really work. They may also be Republicans. I mean, the military is often Republican. They may not like Obama. Uh, the Republicans have been flooding the Internet with these uh, unsourced messages that Obama's a Muslim, Obama's a Marxist. You know, I get them. They come across my computer almost every day. So you can see how families that are, first of all, they're very unhappy. They've lost a son. They have all this propaganda that Obama's a Muslim and not even, you know, a lot of people say he's not even an American citizen, that he won't produce his birth certificate. All of this is, affects a lot of people in the way they think. And so they're looking for an explanation. The troops are on some broken down, out of date, 50-year-old helicopter. What for? And, they, and so they just see that it, it was because Obama wanted to, he was appealing to Muslims or they, I forget the exact way Mr. Strange put it, but I said at the time, it doesn't make any sense. And what it shows is that they still buy into the story yeah. that the SEALs killed Bin Laden. So they don't really see what could be the real explanation for the death of their sons. And the real explanation could be that the sons were asking each other who was on the mission, and that was too dangerous. So they had to stop these questions before they went too far or reached back home. You know, you've already had the sailors saying, did you see the burial? And all the sailors say, no, I didn't see it. Did you see it? And they're writing home about it. So now if it's repeated a second time, <laughs> were you on the mission? No, I wasn't with you. And that gets back home too. Then the whole story blows up. I mean, you can't, there's a limit to what they can cover up. And if any of the SEALs are alive and, you know, they get out of service, I mean, they don't stay in the service forever. And people want to interview them. And they say, well, I wasn't on it. We, don't, we never knew who was on it. So if they're dead, they can't be asked questions. Now, I'm not saying that they arranged to kill the SEALs to cover up the false story. I got no evidence. But all I'm saying is that is an explanation that makes more sense than the other ones so far. Yes, I agree with you. It does seem to make sense. Yes, it fits the facts. Hmm. 
Uh, it is very, very difficult for many people to accept that these kinds of things go on and that the official stories may well be false. And so I want to ask you about that. I mean, when the alleged raid was first reported, you know, and Obama came out and addressed the world, there were all these people celebrating, you know, now we've got the world's greatest terrorist and uh, justice has now been done, all that kind of thing. Why do you think so many people seemed to be ready to swallow the story quite so enthusiastically? Well, I, I don't know exactly. One reason is that the desire for revenge is strong. And now they had revenge. You know, he blew up the World Trade Center. Now we blew him up. Okay. He didn't get away with it, in other words. We, our honor is protected. So that can appeal to a lot of people, particularly if they're people who never have any doubts about anything. Uh, another thing can be a lot of this could have been planned and orchestrated in a lot of these celebrations. I, I remember seeing him after the Boston Marathon bombing when uh, the second brothers found in the boat and captured and announced. The TV showed uh, all hundreds of people in Boston out in the streets celebrating and partying, thanking the police for locking down their city, thanking the police for bringing in tanks and going through people's homes and for catching this bad guy. Now, You'd have to think, is this real? Was this orchestrated? Why would anybody be glad that they were ordered to stay inside all day and have troops marching through the house, <laughs> all looking for one wounded 19-year-old kid? This is unprecedented. So I don't really know. I don't know the answer. I haven't tried to find out or study it. Or, but basically, if you have two football teams, and last year the other side won, and this year your side wins, you feel like you've had revenge. People, they get very excited and they get all wrapped up in it. It's some kind of vicarious participation. And I think that saying that we had knocked off bin Laden made people feel, okay, we got back. We didn't get away with it. And looking at it from the other side, from Washington's side, why do you think they, if indeed it is, as you say, and as I, I agree with you, that this was a, essentially a faked military operation, more of a kind of psychological operation, why do you think Washington did it? Well, as well as I remember, at the time, Obama's approval ratings were very low. He was in a mess with his own constituents. And there was talk among the Democrats of actually running a candidate against him for the nomination, which is unheard of that a sitting president gets a candidate from his own party running against him. Well, I, I can't say it's unheard of, but it's very rare. And so I think... They had to come up with something that boosted him way up and put it in to the notion of, well, we may run somebody else for the nomination and Obama will have to go out and campaign for his renomination. He can't take it for granted because we're going to run somebody against him. And it could have been various constituencies of his that he had abandoned and not delivered on. You know, he didn't end the wars. He didn't close Guantanamo. He didn't do all the things he promised to do. He did none of them. So it could be, I think that is the reason. They had to have something, and they were sitting around, and what can we do that really boosts us and puts the quietus on all this challenge? And somebody said, oh, we'll kill Bin Laden. That's the way we do it. Well, I certainly agree. That does seem to present itself as part of the solution, about, you know, part of the reason for it. But I, I find it difficult to believe that's the whole reason, because it seems so extravagant. Well, if you're fighting for power, it's not extravagant. And look, look at everything they've got away with. Weapons of mass destruction, you know, Iranian nukes, 
they almost got away with the charge that Assad used chemical weapons. Hmm. And people say, oh, governments wouldn't lie to us. They wouldn't kill their own people. People who say that need to go online, go to Wikipedia, and look up Operation Northwoods. Absolutely. This was a project presented to President Kennedy in the early 60s by the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the United States military. The project called for the United States military, the CIA, or some combination to shoot down Americans on the streets of Miami and Washington, D.C., to shoot down American airliners, to strafe the refugee boats coming from Cuba, and to blame Castro so they could then invade and have regime change. It's an official recognized document. It was released some years ago. It's, you can read all about it. It's not a conspiracy theory. You can see it's all the official documents stamped and everything else. And we know that the second Kennedy Commission released it to the public. It's all a matter of public record. So they are willing to do these things. I mean, they were willing to do this a half century ago. <laughs> well, absolutely. People can look at my website. In fact, I've recently, because it's in the public domain now, I've recently uploaded it to the website. So people can just go to the documents tab and actually read Operation right. Northwoods for themselves. Um, I think one major concern that I have about all of this, which is why I want to keep on talking about this subject, is the way that this whole story has now become official history. And I find that really quite disturbing. I mean, everywhere you look in the mainstream media, all sorts of establishment publications. This is now taken to be historical fact. And sheer repetition just seems to make this an actual fact. You know, Bin Laden was assassinated on right. that day. It couldn't be questioned, you know. So my question here is, I mean, given the success, you know, one has to say, psychologically, this was a great success, this operation. Do you think that it gives the planners of that operation the sense that they can pretty much get away with anything they want now? Yes, sure. I think 9-11 did that. Hmm. But they always have. Look, remember the Gulf of Tonkin, the Gulf of Tonkin. This was a false flag or event or an event that didn't even happen where the United States claimed that its Navy ships were attacked by Vietnam, North Vietnam. Well, this was the beginning of all the huge American commitment to the Vietnam War. It took historians years. I mean, everybody believed that. But it took historians years to peel that away and point out that it was actually no such thing ever happened. It was a lie they used to go to war. I think the Maine, remember the Maine. The Maine was an American battleship in the harbor of Havana when uh, Cuba was under Spanish control and the thing blew up. Washington blamed Spain and went to war and drove them out of Cuba and also took the Philippines away from them. It took historians years to establish the, the Spanish didn't blow up the Maine. <laughs> And wherever you look, uh, for example, the uh, atomic bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. At the time, the explanation was, oh, the Japanese uh, had a million-man army. They were defending their homeland. If we had invaded, uh, it would have cost uh, hundreds of thousands of dead Americans. The war would have gone on forever because the Japs would have fought tenaciously on their own ground. And, and so we had to drop these bombs to end the war without having uh, huge American casualties, as well as Japanese casualties. And actually fewer people died because we dropped the bombs. Well, this was the story for years and years. And, and now it comes out, uh, the true facts are that the, the Japanese government was falling over itself, trying to surrender, <laughs> and we wouldn't let them. 
they were even trying to get the Russians to intercede with us so they could surrender. The only thing they wanted was to be able to keep the emperor. They didn't want the emperor to be shot or hung or executed because they said there would be nothing to hold the country together as a country, to be both invaded, occupied, and have the emperor shot. They had to have some figurehead in order to still be a country. And so the Americans were demanding unconditional surrender, unconditional surrender. And they said, we'll surrender everything, but please don't do anything to the emperor. And the Americans wouldn't agree. So they dropped the atom bomb. <laughs> All these stories, historians over time pick away at them. And it becomes easier as time passes because the people who invent the stories and have the vested interest in them, they die and they go away. <laughs> and then it becomes possible to doubt it easier. And everybody who was there and remembered, affected by it and fell for it, they're gone. And so the stories come out subsequently. You know, half a century later, the story comes out. Do you think it's more hopeful as time goes on that people seem to be more aware that these false flags and uh, false claims are going on. Do you think that there's a, a sense in the population that uh, we are being lied to? And in that sense, do you think there's a hope that if enough people cotton on to what's going on, that things might change? I don't know that the governments will ever stop lying because, see, the governments have agendas that they can't take to the people. For example, if Bush wanted to invade uh, the Middle East and take over these countries, and he stood up and said, look, I want to invade Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria and Iran and, and knock them all off and put our puppets there and rearrange things. And the people would say, well, what for? They're not bothering us. So they orchestrate events to provide a justification for their undeclared agendas. And this is the way governments traditionally work. But do you think more people are becoming aware that some of these things are in fact orchestrated? And if people do become aware of that, is it going to be harder for governments to pull this off? Well, I think, Julian, we saw that recently in the world blocking Obama's military attack on Syria. Yeah. Even the British Parliament. I mean, look, Britain has been an American puppet state ever since the end of World War II. It's a puppet state. It does exactly what Washington wants. And it's always there for Washington. Look at all the cover Tony Blair provided Bush for the uh, invasion of Iraq. I mean, Bush couldn't have done it without him. So now we saw when they tried to do the same thing again. I mean, Washington was took for granted that Cameron was going to bring the parliament and sign up with attacking Syria. And what the British parliament do? They said, you're not doing it without House voting. Well, that surprised Cameron. And then they voted no. So clearly they've caught on. They said, we're not providing cover for another American war crime. That's what the parliament said. And then we saw the rest of NATO, except for the French. Nobody would participate. NATO Secretary General, uh, he said, it's up to each country to decide. He passed it off. Nobody would support it. And the Russians came in and said, look, you're not telling the truth about this. Here's what the truth is. And then they said, look, we've got this deal. What's wrong with this deal? And so nobody would support. So they, they're catching on. They said, okay, you lied to us about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Why do we believe you about Syria? Where's your evidence? And the Americans claim to have all this evidence, but they never showed it to anybody. And that's why Cameron lost the vote. If you go back and watch the films of Cameron arguing with Parliament, he says, yes, I don't have any evidence. I know I don't have any evidence, but it's just my gut feeling. 
Indeed. And we and we had John Kerry talking about, you know, it's so convincing, you just need to join the dots. Yes. And I was thinking, well, I've read this uh, UN document here, and I'm trying to join the dots, and I don't seem to draw the same picture at all. <laughs> yeah, right. There was no evidence. One of the most remarkable things was that Putin said publicly, we try to deal honestly with the Americans. We try to think of them as decent people. But John Kerry is lying, and he knows he's lying, and it's sad. So... I think the world has caught on. Now, what about Americans themselves? I keep seeing these polls. I don't know how accurate they are or what, but now 50% of the American population has at least some doubts about the explanation of 9-11. So if you've got half the population beginning to say, wait a minute, then it does show people catch on. And if enough catch on in time, it'll put a constraint on the descent of the United States into a Gestapo police state, because that's where we're headed, you know, and everything they've been doing in the 21st century is illegal, unconstitutional, and there's been no accountability for it. The courts have looked the other way. The Congress has looked the other way. We have the National Security Administration spying on the whole world. I call it the National Stasi Agency. And you may remember just before the Syria thing came up, Congress was trying to cut that back, close a lot of it down. And the vote was very close, and it looked like they were picking up steam. And then so very quickly, we had this Syrian thing rise up. And that got them off of uh, shutting down the NSA. And then as soon as the Syrian thing's over, we have the government shut down. So they keep Congress away from the real issue is the National Security Council is spying on everybody's every email. They're list everything I'm seeing news being recorded, every email, every online purchase, every website visited, every letter written. They read the mail now. Every telephone call of everybody, and not just Americans. And as Brazil found out, they use this to spy on Brazil's businesses, so the American corporations know how to undermine them. Wow. And although this is illegal, illegal. Edward Snowden, who reveals this, is called a traitor. Right. Well, you know, it had already been revealed. William Benny is the person who actually devised the spy system. I don't think he knew they were going to use it to such extremes. But the guy who actually devised it blew a whistle on it early in the 21st century. His name is William Benny. You can go online and find his videos in which he talks about it. Now, they tried to do something to him. He didn't run for it or anything. But the difference between Benny and Snowden is that Benny didn't take any documents, not a single one. They couldn't find a single document. So he had no proof. It was just his word. And so they could just say, oh, he's disgruntled. Now, Snowden didn't reveal anything Benny hadn't already revealed, but Snowden had all the proof. That's why they're after Snowden. In other words, they say he stole the documents. He's a traitor. Benny is just uh, disgruntled. He's got no proof. We don't have to worry about him. The attack on Snowden seems to be pretty merciless. I mean, it was only a, a few days ago on the BBC on the Newsnight program, uh, Glenn Greenwald was on, and uh, he was attacked again and again as being in collusion with a, a traitor, essentially. Was that that woman? Yes, that's right. Kirsty Walk. Yeah, I have, I have that posted on my site, but he tears her to pieces. I mean, he makes a complete fool mm. out of her. She wasn't any match for him. That didn't do her or the BBC any good, but it sure did a lot of good for Greenwall. 
Yeah. He's able to outsmart them. They're no match for him. I thought it was quite revealing, actually, that uh, people who are watching that would, would get the impression, well, look, the BBC does clearly have an angle here. Yeah, it clearly had an angle. Yeah, it most clearly did. That's why I posted. I said, look at this. You can see, if you tell the truth, what you're up against. Um, I don't know, Julian. I think that, and you see, also recently we saw the president of Brazil at the UN denouncing the United States for violating international law and spying on other governments the way they're doing. We see the two other South American presidents are bringing a lawsuit against the United States for human rights violations. So we're seeing the world start to stand up to Washington instead of simply folding up or accepting the bag fulls of money, which is the traditional way Washington gets everybody to do what he wants and just gives them enough money until they give up and say, okay, that's such big money, I can't turn it down, you just bought me. So I think the... Uh, influence of Washington is um, not what it was, and this has reduced its power because it's more isolated. They can't get the corporation that it got. We saw that in Syria, to repeat myself. We saw the, the outcome of the Syria thing shows the United States was unable to achieve its purpose this time, and it's unusual. There seemed to be a kind of uh, victimization of Assad. You know, now, now uh, Osama bin Laden's gone. Who else can we victimize and make into the, the big baddie? Well, if you want to do somebody in, you first demonize them. Mm. You create a boogeyman. I mean, bin Laden was the boogeyman. Now they don't really have one, do they? <laughs> they tried to make the Iranian president one, but the new guy is so much uh, milder and gentler and diplomatic and Tried to make Assad a boogeyman, but that didn't work either. They tried to make Putin a boogeyman, but he beat uh, Kerry and Obama, and the whole world sees that it was the Russians who stopped the war. So I don't think it's working for them. And now what they're demonstrating, Julian, and, and this is not exactly off the subject, they're now demonstrating in Washington they can't govern themselves. The government shut down. <laughs> so here's a superpower. It knows best for the whole world. It knows what's best for Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria and Iran and China and Russia, and it can't govern itself. And it's shut down. And, and in seven days, the treasurer runs out of money, can't pay any bills, and the bonds default, and, and, and there's flight from the dollar, and the economy collapses. And so they got one week to come to some agreement. <laughs> Or the whole or the whole thing just blows up. We become overnight third world country. You know, look at this. Now, this is a, this is absurdity, isn't it? A superpower, and it knows best for the world, and it deserves. It's exceptional. It's indispensable. It, ha it should have hegemony over the world, but it can't govern itself. The government shut down. <laughs> it's an absurdity. I think that this uh, the, the shutdown on top of everything else that's happened recently is making the world wonder about the United States. And I really don't think the United States will emerge from this with the same kind of power and influence that it had. It's seen differently and people are beginning to resist, stand up for themselves. And various people have said, we're not an American colony. <laughs> Quit calling us up, giving us orders. And sooner or later, the British Prime Minister will say that. Well, that'll, that'll be the day. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to hearing that. <laughs> well, 
I'd like to uh, end on a, a slightly more upbeat note. I mean, so much of what we've been saying is really quite depressing indeed. But at the end of your article, you uh, describe Osama bin Laden as the man who died twice, <laughs> which is what I thought I would call this podcast, actually. So I want to ask you if you think there's a chance that they might actually try to get him a third time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I don't think they can pull that off. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> I don't even think the American media would fall for that. What could you say? You could say, oh, yes, we, we, we didn't bury him. We brought his body back <laughs> secretly. So we could, we could resurrect it. We, we went to Area 51 <laughs> and where the aliens landed, and, and we have their machine for restoring bodies to life, and it worked, and we have him back now. And, but he escaped. <laughs> Which, do you know, do you know if, it, if it was said with sufficient uh, solemnity uh, on the right news channels, I think some people would actually believe it. <laughs> well, Dr. Roberts, it has been wonderful to speak to you again. Thank you ever so much for coming on. It's a, really a, a great privilege. I'm aware of that for having you on the program. So thank you ever so much for spending all this time to talk to us again. Well, Julian, no, you just keep on renewing their minds because that's what we have to do. We have to break everybody out of the matrix. And anybody who's trying to do that, I'm going to cooperate with them. So all the best to you. Thank you ever so much. Goodbye. Bye-bye.